Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. Today's episode is sponsored by Axiom, a recognized leader in the business of law. Axiom provides tech-enabled legal contracts and compliance solutions for large enterprises. Hello, listeners. It's Nicole Giantonio, the founder of Left Foot, and I'm here to announce that our 12 audio-based business development challenges are now available. 12 practical, execution-oriented steps to predictable business development success. Go to leftfoot.com for details. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Left Foot. Today's guest leads his company's legal, commercial contracts management, compliance, and economic development teams. He's a proponent of establishing strong operational disciplines and working closely with the business in support of their shared interests. He's been in his current role for eight years, following successive in-house roles at three name organizations since 1990. The Vice President, General Counsel, and Secretary, Chief Compliance Officer, DHL Supply Chain Americas, Mark Smolik. Welcome to Left Foot. Hi, Nicole. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to share with you and your listeners some insight on some questions that I think are very, very relevant, especially to today's changing dynamics of the legal industry. Excellent. Thank you, Mark. Great to have you as a guest in our program. Let's jump into those questions. What personal strengths or habits have allowed you to successfully transition to a role as in-house counsel and now in your role as a general counsel and chief compliance officer? You know, Nicole, I'm a bit of an oddity and I'll admit that. I've been a licensed lawyer for 30 years. I spent 28 of those years in-house, starting first with the Sherwin-Williams Company and then going to Safelite Auto Glass and of course, ultimately here at DHL. The characteristics that I see in somebody from an outside law firm or brand new into the legal profession coming into, into a corporation are, are generally the same because the most imperative characteristics that I see are from people who take a business approach to the practice of law. People whose demeanor are in many regards business first. People who happen to be business people who have law degrees, who find a way to yes. And although that may be true, whether you are working inside a corporation or as an external uh, legal advisor at a law firm or perhaps an alternative legal service provider in a different service organization providing services to a corporate law department. I think those individuals that take that very pragmatic, focused approach on finding a way to say yes to what business objectives are sought to be accomplished are those that are most successful. Of course, there has to be a balance in finding your way to yes, particularly as lawyers. And that balance involves not only looking at the law and what can or cannot be done, but keeping in mind the underlying objective of trying to find a way to get your internal business client in your organization into a position where they can accomplish the objectives they've set, complete the projects they have set as well. And I have found over time, those people who do take that very supportive approach to the business are those that are called on most often by the business for continued support and who help build their own internal equity in advancing their own careers within their organizations. Let's talk about that. We have general counsel that come on and talk about working with the business, basically managing the risks that the organization might be undertaking during a particular decision versus the business needs. So there's a few things that come up. Risk, 
timelines turnaround? How do we respond to the business in the timeliness that they need? And then how do we measure or basically proceed understanding the risks that might be, we might be undertaking when we're making or helping the business make a decision? Can you dive a bit further into whether it's both of those things that you and your team are really looking at as you're working in your day-to-day relationships or working on your day-to-day relationships with the business? Is it really risk and timelines or is there something else that maybe are not highlighted in those two statements? The first approach we take is always tied to three different core principles and they're related to what you just mentioned, Nicole, but I'd like to share those with you. And that is anytime we're called upon to provide insight and oftentimes not just legal insight, but general business insight. We focus on three things, align, enable, and simplify. And that's how we operate our department. It is two, three words. First and foremost, we have to take the time to understand the business objective and take actions and provide meaningful input that aligns with the needs of the business. And we need to do so in a context where we are known as business enablers, people to facilitate the business, people who make it easier for business people to make informed decisions with regard to the actions that they want to take. And oftentimes, one of the biggest areas of the unknown is how the regulatory, let alone the legal environment, particularly that which is changing in the U.S. so drastically over the course of the past, call it eight years, has caused a lot of uncertainty for business. So they look to me and my team, more often than not, members of my team, to provide that insight and take a little bit of the guesswork out of it. That is all part of the enablement in its simplest fashion, but we provide that input in a simplified fashion. Yes, we are delivering input by lawyers, but I have found that those lawyers that can boil down a regulatory restriction or perhaps a law that impacts a business decision or a project and can do so in a very simplified, call it plain English way, are the ones that are the most successful. There's always the issue of the urgency involved in making a decision or providing advice as well, Nicole. And then sometimes that's reading the tea leaves with regard to how the message was conveyed either at a business unit meeting, maybe at a board meeting. No matter how members of your audience, whether you're in-house counsel or outside counsel, manage your department, provide that input in balancing the risks versus the business decision. There's always that goal that I have heard consistently over the three decades that I practice of being a trusted advisor. And all of that comes back in many regards to that subjective decision by the business as to whether the advice that you provided to them was relevant, practical, and meaningful, allowing them to make an informed decision going forward. Thank you. Thank you for that detailed response. And and thank you for using the word trusted advisor. That is something we talk to our lawyers that we work with on business development, that it really is reestablishing that relationship as a trusted advisor. Obviously, as in-house counsel, that's a key part of your role. When you're talking to outside counsel, how are you conveying and how is your team conveying to them that if they're working with not only the lawyers within your organization, but the business teams within your organization, that that's an expectation? Because my assumption is that that also transfers to those outside partners, that they are being brought in to act as trusted advisors to the business. They are. And I think it's a great point that you raise. Just as importantly, they need to understand, particularly, and I'm talking about outside counsel, you are an extension of me and my team. You should assume you're interacting in a way that will directly reflect on me. You're held accountable to that. But in many regards, particularly with regard to the relationship that we seek to establish with outside firms, not just law firms, but any external legal provider, 
and in some instances, particularly given the changing dynamics of our industry, alternative legal service providers, we are holding them accountable to the same key performance indicators that we hold ourselves accountable to. How do they communicate with the business? The timeliness in which they respond, the feedback that we get from our business partners with regard to the quality of the service they delivered, the timeliness, the responsiveness, and more importantly than anything else, the perceived value from the business, as well as from members of my team, of the services that they are delivering. And the reason that is so important is because in many organizations, legal departments are being held accountable to run like a business. And oftentimes, GCs and heads of legal operations are doing just that. It's not just lawyers practicing law. It's lawyers running, in many regards, a multi-multi-million dollar business, particularly considering that you're a cost center. And when you, as a member of the legal team, particularly if you're in management, go through the budget process and you're talking with your business about how much money they're going to be allocated for fixed costs associated with your department and the variable costs tied to outside counsel, there has to be meaningful value delivered. And those organizations that spend more on external counsel than internal counsel, that is all the more important. So we make clear to our external partners how critical it is that they are adhering to key performance indicators. We measure them to those KPIs and we hold them accountable to them. Another strong point is that idea of running your organization like a business and the fact that outside counsel, your legal service administration organizations that you work with, the technology organizations that you work with, all of the project management team members, internal and external that you work with, that that all has to be a part of it, that they have to understand that this is a business we need to to look at that perceived value in association with the cost, that cost of value discussion. Mark, when an outside partner is looking to engage with your organization for the first time, whether it's an outside legal firm, law firm, whether it's a technology service provider, whether it's a legal services organization, what do you look for in those partners when they're coming in to talk with you for the first time? And especially if you can kind of relate that to the value, is is there a way that you can align the value that they'll provide your organization through the communication, through the information they're presenting in those first few meetings that would make you want to say, yes, I can see that this would be a an organization that we would receive value from if we were to partner with them? You know, Nicole, my simple answer, we all learned when we were kids, be prepared. And by that, I mean, if you've got an opportunity, whether it's a law firm, e-discovery company, It really doesn't matter what service you're in. If you're in the legal industry and you're sitting at the table with a group of folks from the DHL law department, you've got to be prepared. Take the time to learn, not just about our organization, but a little bit about our department. There's information all over the web with regard to who we are and what we do. And just go to LinkedIn or many other social media sites. You'll find a lot about me and my people and some of our background. And if you've got an opportunity to present yourself as a law firm in defending or handling a new matter or a project or an alternative service provider in the legal industry, the more that you can take information about the service that you have to offer and tie it relevantly to our business and you have a competitive advantage in what sets you apart from your competitors and why we should hire you, 
the better off that you're going to be. Remember, folks, oftentimes when you come in, particularly if you're outside counsel on a significant legal matter, chances are there's going to be a number of your competitors that are either right behind you with regard to meeting time or who may be meeting at other times as well. Never lose sight of the fact it's part of the decision-making process. First impressions are lasting, but there's always something that stands apart from somebody's presentation. Either they are or they're not prepared. Maybe somebody they offered with regard to a creative solution to a complex legal matter that's really going to drive the decision. And that ultimately, after you leave that room where people around that table, whether it's two or three or four or however many, people who have worked together that understand how each other think are going to be looking at each other and making a relatively quick decision as to whether the message you left resonates deeply with them. You can connect not only with them with regard to their experiences, but also with regard to the company and what the company does in and day out as it relates to the problem which you were brought in to address, the better off that you're going to be in the long run. The strong points. And I think that idea of not only presenting the business case, but relating to them and being able to translate the solution to the business problem at hand, or at least as defined, and really presenting that in that meeting and then that connection. Mark, we hear that people select their law firms similar to how we select many things in our life because they felt like there was a connection. They felt like the people were prepared and informed. They felt like they listened to the Q&A from the client. And that is not always the case where they actually listened to the question that might have been asked and then responded to it in a way that was thoughtful and developed confidence in the in-house counsel that was looking to partner. You know, that said, can you convey a success story where an organization came in not only presented a solid solution to the extent that you did select them as a partner, but then was able over time possibly to continue to earn your business by continuing to provide strong customer care or customer service. We had a rather challenging piece of litigation filed against us within the past couple of years. And we reached out what I'll call our panel of law firms, 19, give or take a bit at any one time in the United States. We asked for some insight from those firms that had offices in the venue where this particular piece of litigation was pending to share with us their thoughts, how they feel we should approach this from a defense perspective. And the discussion was along the lines of what I just laid out. Three law firms came back to us. So I'm going to give you a little bit of do this, don't do that. First, the don't do that. We got, we've been in business for over a hundred years. We have X number of lawyers in this practice group. We've got experience with a judge. We even have experience with plaintiff's counsel, and we have handled quite a number of similar matters with uh, varying degrees of success. But we also have some very prominent people, former judges, or perhaps people from various levels of government that would be involved in the team. Two of the firms provided us that insight, but a third firm who was with us, what I would call just a kind of a shorter term period of time, came into us and they said, here's the approach. I got a one and a half page memo and the memo outlined for me in a fashion that I can merely cut, paste and send to my board. Here are the core allegations pending against the company. Here are similar lawsuits that have been filed by plaintiff's counsel. And here's a varying de- various degrees of success that that individual has had with these types of cases. Now, they couldn't talk confidential with regard to settlements, but they could with regard to anything that actually went to trial or based on the current docket. They then provided an overview of a few cases. This particular judge had come down on these issues, either procedurally or if the matter went all the way through trial. 
as well. And then they came out with a, here's a proposal, how we feel you should handle this case and that you should segment it. And here are the costs associated with the various steps that we would take all the way through a motion for summary judgment. And here's how much we feel it would cost. I took about 10 minutes to read the memo. I read it again. I thought about it for the rest of the day. I met with my team and everybody universally said they get the business. That is a business approach to the practice of law because they get it. They not only gave us the cost, the defense costs associated with the matter, which gave me information so that I can make uh, an informed decision with regard to what I'm recommending to my business with regard to any kind of reserves or accruals. So they accomplished that. They also put themselves in my shoes. They understood that I have an obligation to my board to convey matters of significance. They, they knew that. And they knew that because any general counsel has got to do the same thing. But they ghost wrote this memo for me to my board. It's as if they said, let's write it for him so that he can send it on to his board. So they accomplished that as well. But more importantly, they set themselves up within our organization as business lawyers who have a law degree because that's the exact same approach. That's the exact approach that they took to analyzing the case and laying it out for us. Now, I questioned the firm after they got it. I said, did you bring in a former in-house GC or experienced corporate or litigation attorney who used to be in an organization such as ours to help you write this. They said, no, we've just been listening to our clients. So that is clearly something that still resonates with me a number of years later, and they still continue to earn our business because their approach is the same. Terrific example. Thank you for sharing that. It's interesting. We have heard that there is this approach now that that in-house counsel is asking their panel firms that are looking to work on a matter for potential outcomes. So that was somewhat in that vein of this is how we would handle this. But I love the fact that they had the cost. They were aware of what you were going to have to do with that information next by creating a memo that you could use. So there was a lot of good work that was done there. Some idea of what the financial impact would be on your budget. So a lot of great strengths there. Was that the first time that had occurred? And was that recent? And you did mention it was in the U.S. So I want to ask a follow-up question to that. But was that the first time you had seen that? It was the first time with this firm. It was within the past two years, but it has become more of a standard. And that is primarily because every year we sit down with our firms and we give them formal performance reviews and we tell them what they're doing well against an established set of key performance indicators and we tell them where their gaps are. The most important thing that comes out of that conversation is a setting of expectations and we have seen significant change behavior since we started doing that. Well, eight years ago here at DHL, I started doing that at Safe Light Auto Glass, but it provokes the conversation and it opens the door for the conversation. And no attorneys like to hear what they're not doing well. We all think that we're perfect in many regards, and we know that we're not. But where you're not, when you have an understanding, just like you are an employee of any organization, about where your gaps may be and what you need to do to improve upon them so that the expectations are set and then met, if not exceeded, the more successful you're likely to be. And that is something that we had talked to this firm about, along with all of our firms, and it really showed in their approach to this particular matter. They actually heard what you were saying. What a critical factor, right? The other firms, one was new to the panel, you had said, and another one was not new, but they didn't implement some of the things that they had heard in their review. Let me ask, Mark, I know you have legal operations within your organization. I don't know if you have legal purchasing. Is having formal legal operations 
Are those things that you think have directly led to this type of approach versus the, you know, we've been doing business for a hundred years. We have relationships that can influence a legal matter. Has having formal legal operations had a significant impact on how you, how a situation like this would play out? For sure. Nicole, one of the best decisions I have ever made as in-house counsel, particularly in a leadership position, is to recognize first the change underway in the legal industry, and that is law departments being held accountable to run like a business. And I experienced that firsthand here at DHL. I surely experienced it when I was a general counsel at Safelight, but also recognizing my own shortcomings. I'm not a business guy who understands deeply the accounting and, and everything else associated with all of the budgeting process. I put in place a number of years ago to help me with that, and we called it business process operations. It has since been renamed legal operations a number of years ago, I have seven people on that team. And that team, for all intents and purposes, runs all elements of the administration of this department, whether it's HR, whether it is, whether it comes time to preparing budget, whether it's performance reviews with our outside legal providers, or it is undoubtedly the single best thing that I have done since I've been at DHL in managing the efficiencies associated with my department. We've heard such terrific things about formal legal operations. That's a huge statement, the most significant thing that has occurred in your department. And now a word from our sponsor. Axiom Solutions combine legal experience, technology, and data analytics to deliver work in a way that dramatically reduces risk, cost, and cycle time. With over 1,200 lawyers and 2,000 plus employees across three continents, we experience a nerdy excitement from improving the way legal, compliance, and contracts work is done. For more information, go to axiomlaw.com. Com. Nicole here and a shout out and thank you for tuning in to the Left Foot Podcast. Are you looking to refresh your business development efforts? Our 12 Left Foot Business Development Challenges will refresh your efforts in three areas. Business Development Grit, tactical habits that lead to business development success, including networking, nailing your niche, how to focus and develop an expert reputation, commercial savoir-faire, a discussion on business and the revenue side of law. At Left Foot, we believe 20% of people are natural at business development, 10% say no to business development, and 70% are neutral and can adopt the skills necessary when presented in an organized, methodical way. To learn more and be challenged, go to leftfoot.com. For our outside lawyers, our listeners that are working at firms, from your view, legal operations and becoming a panel firm with your organization, are there other suggestions you would have for those firms that are looking to earn your business besides being very prepared, listening to feedback if they were coming in to present to be a possible member of a panel? Is there other advice that you would give those lawyers, those firms? The first one is so simple, and it's the one that I think is just not taken seriously by the number of what I'll call new or junior partners that do ask, whether it's at a conference, whether I happen to be at some kind of legal trade association event, where I may be asked the opportunity, what can I do to earn your business? And my first answer, it's simple. Ask. It sounds simple, but ask. And I then go on to explain. Don't be bashful about it. 
you've got objectives, you've got all kinds of pressures within your firm to bring in money and bring in revenue. I get it. And I've had the opportunity to talk with you hypothetically about the decisions that we make and how we go about making our decisions when we evaluate our attorneys or when we're looking for value. Don't wait for me to call you. It's probably not going to happen. It's not because I don't necessarily want to talk to you, but I may not even know that you operate within this space. But if you really want my business, reach out to me with something relevant that is related to what we do. So first and foremost, ask. And if you feel you've got an expertise in the supply chain business, then let us know why and reach out. Nicole, for every 100 people I tell that, less than 5% actually follow through. I would love to say I'm surprised, but I'm not because I've heard it from other general counsel. I've heard it from other in-house team members. I've heard it from our operations professionals. Five hours is nothing to secure an account like DHL or to become part of a panel at DHL. That is a very small cost. So thank you for sharing that. I really do hope that our listeners take note. I hear it in my private equity business. We hear it from a lot of folks. If you present something of value to me in a communication, I will see it. If you continue to follow up and say, I'd love to have a coffee or without something of value, I will think of it less. I will not jump to it. But if it's something of value that you might even think is perceived value, I'd be more apt to respond to it. So thank you. appreciate that. And, and for really driving and giving that point that not that many people take you up on that. So that that is critical. And it is something that we continue to have to restate for our listeners and for, for those in the industry. Mark, there's so much going on in the legal field. There's so much going on with technology. There's so much going on with cost management and and really running legal departments as a business. There's project management. There's the need to utilize other legal service providers to, to run your organization like a business. What are you seeing in today's environment that you would consider innovative? Nicole, I'd like to answer that a little differently because what I see our external partners focusing on and and other law firms are oftentimes the wrong priorities. They're looking for that magic bullet in the form of some kind of technology that's going to help them save money. And all of that is great. As long as you can pass some of those savings on to me, that's great. It's not the new and cutting edge matter management system. It's not the new interface with e-billing systems. It's not the new project tracking that will allow you to drive efficiencies within your organization. The piece that is missing, as I see it, particularly from law firms who are interacting with their clients, is number one, a lack of awareness, and two, a lack of taking the time to truly understand the expectations of the clients. Too often, there's so much focus on artificial intelligence and, you know, what is that new cutting edge technology tool that I need? There isn't the time taken to really understand how is it that you even can first connect with a new client or continuing to drive value and sustainability with that client. And the only way you can do it is to have the conversation. I saw it time and time again over the past three decades. How many times outside counsel would get a new project, open a matter, build a matter, close the matter, and move on to the next one? And you just hope the phone rings or comes or the email comes with that new matter. But take the time in your business development to do something different. Because you know, folks, when I make a recommendation to my board on a significant legal matter that we're handling, that could really have significant financial impact to our organization, I'm not touting. 
outside counsel who happens to be a scratch golfer. I'm touting outside counsel who is a recognized industry expert in their field, who has taken the time to work with me to truly understand first our business and how we make decisions and why we make decisions. It is driving that value proposition. It is understanding those expectations. And this is a bit of a long-winded way of saying, if you're in a law firm and you're going to focus your resource, however limited they may be on business development, first in working to connect with your clients. If you're a client of ours, sure. I love to go to a ball game, but I'd rather spend time with my family. I love to play golf, but I'll lose more golf balls than it's worth. I'd rather take the time to sit down with you and talk about how you can continue to drive meaningful, sustainable value to my organization that ultimately you will equate the financial synergies that I can capture and ultimately use to our advantage as a department in the budgeting process. I would imagine that as you're dealing with legal issues that are not based here in the United States. So in the other areas in which you have responsibility that you're having to talk to the firms and partners you're using outside the States about the fact that business is, has changed and that you need to stick to the business issues, look for their advice in a very succinct business-like manner. Is that the case? Are you finding that the global partners are understanding about a modern approach to selecting a firm? My global responsibility at the company uh, is chair of the supply chain global legal practice group. And it has given me visibility and interaction, visibility to, excuse me, and interaction with a number of multinational firms, some of the largest in the world. And the message that I hear from the partners at those firms or the partners committee at the very largest firms in the world and some smallest as well. And there's a fundamental question of, hey, we continue to hear a lot about these changing dynamics of the legal industry, but can you tell us really what that means and what is going on? And more importantly, what we need to do to adapt and change? They don't know. And a lot of them are investing a lot of time, a lot of resources, and a lot of money to figure it out. But many of them have business models that are based on long-standing tradition, long-standing processes that are not easy to change, and they won't change overnight. And there will, for the foreseeable future, be decisions made with regard to legal services based on who you know, who you went to law school with, and subjective decisions in many regards. But you know, I heard an interesting statistic that I've never in, uh, independently verified, but so I'll say it, I read it actually, it's not, it wasn't on the internet, it was a respected legal publication that the average age of a Fortune 500 general counsel is 45 years old. Now that is a half a generation behind me, but it is a generation of people if you draw a line either way, left or right, makes decisions in many regards on objective data, where to go on vacation, where to go to a restaurant, what rental car agency to use, let alone what hotel to go to. And it is a generation of people that more and more and more are looking for objective input from others on selecting a service provider and perhaps even a consumer-related product. And more and more of that consumer buying behavior, that professional service buying behavior is changing to follow that line of thinking. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten phone calls from people over the course of my career saying, Mark, who can you recommend as an outside law firm or perhaps an expert witness that happens to be in a particular venue? And the call oftentimes, particularly years ago, would be based on who felt right to me subjectively. Hey, use this person. I've used them before with great success. And that was it. 
and people accepted it, and they will still accept that in time gone by. But they are looking for if not platforms, to help them make informed decisions based on collective aggregated input from multiple others. I mean, imagine a scenario where multiple corporate law departments evaluated law firms against key performance indicators, and all of that data was aggregated on a, a law firm by law firm basis, where you may not know who exactly rated who, but you know who corporate America that you would define said the best of the best of antitrust lawyers in a particular venue, pick a Cleveland, Ohio, or Cincinnati. Ohio to give a couple of examples. Imagine if there was such a platform for corporate law departments to evaluate their outside counsel against those key performance indicators to then use that data to drive the discussion with their counsel. A platform that heretofore had doesn't exist, it does today. It's something that we have used at DHL for years. It was paper-based. It's now been moved to the cloud. But it's something that in our own organization has so advanced our relationships with our external counsel that can, I can unequivocally say that with a team today of 58 compared to a team of seven when I joined the organization, that when I factored in the cost of my team plus the cost of outside counsel, I spend less today than I did when I joined. Much of that is because we have not only aligned deeper with outside counsel, but we have moved significant amounts of work, commodity work, such as real estate, general contract work, in-house to the chagrin of our external counsel. And I'm not the only one doing it. According to the ACC latest survey, 53% of all money spent in corporate legal departments today are spent on internal resources. That to me is shocking. And it is something that will continue to grow. One and a half times more law departments, according to the Altman Weil studies in 2016, reducing spend on outside counsel as will increase spend on outside counsel. These dynamics are going to continue. There will be less money coming out of corporate law departments to spend on outside legal service providers, particularly their law firms. And law firms need to understand it, embrace it, and accept it. There are many law firms that I deal with personally that haven't. Got, they turn a blind eye to it. But those are the ones that are going to be a competitive disadvantage. The ones that really understand that they need to sit down and talk about how they can offer a very competitive offering to their clients or prospective clients and drive and deliver that meaningful, more importantly, measured value are the ones that will be most successful. Thank you. A lot of great information there, but there's two points that I'd like to follow up on. One, it really has to, as you were talking about the information, collecting the data, the ability to collect enough data so that there'd be a resource for in-house legal organizations to go to, to really get an understanding of the opinions of many others on a particular resource to be able to handle a particular item. That's significant, having that kind of information available. You said it's on the cloud today. If you could talk about how long that's existed, if there's any knowledge of how many in-house legal organizations are using information like that, that would be helpful too. Do you have a sense of the volume of people that are actually looking at services like that or looking at ratings like that before they're making a selection? I do. Um, but Nicole, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that the platform that I've talked about that we've used here at DHL since I joined and then I rolled out when I was at SafeLight moved to the cloud because of a discussion that I had with a number of pretty prominent people in the legal industry, Next Law Labs being one of them, about developing this type of platform. And in my discussions with multiple other people in our industry, Bill Henderson from Indiana University and, and a number of others, there was a recognition that this type of platform would be beneficial in not only driving the discussion between law firms and, and law departments, but also creating this type of database. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention I'm involved in that organization. It's called Qualmet Legal. 
Q-U-A-L-M-E-T legal. I, I don't mention the name to push anybody, but I mention it because it is something that has been in the development for well over a year and a half. There are many of the AmLaw 100 law firms that are in discussions with the company in some way, shape, or form about licensing. But more importantly, there's a number of the Fortune 100 companies right now that are actually utilizing the platform to evaluate their law firms and who will be going live with them within the next two quarters. An awful lot of law firms have been reviewed and more practice groups within those law firms and more importantly, more attorneys within those practice groups and their law firms are being evaluated. So it's a pretty broad and comprehensive database at this point and will only continue to grow. You know, one of the things that really resonated with me deeply is during the course of the discussions with multiple other people about this type of platform is folks from Google and Amazon and anybody on this call can Google a law firm performance and any one of those companies. And they're pretty progressive. General Electric as well. They're doing this on their own in-house. They see the value. And the point of my comment, if nothing else from what I have said during my comments with you, if those of your law firm listeners understand that they more likely than not will go through an evaluation process, they're better off to understand it and embrace it early on and find a way to connect with their clients to drive the conversation about value and expectations. The sooner they do it, the more in-depth they do it, the more competitive that they're going to be, and the more likely they're going to stand out in the minds of their clients when decisions are made with regard to whom work is assigned. Thank you for providing more detail on that. And of course, I'm glad you mentioned it because it is something you value and it's something that you value so much that you've got involved. And you you were one of the people that said this needs to exist and, and we're able to support it. So that has a significant and appropriate place within this podcast, Mark. So thank you. One other comment on your last response about what's happening with in-house law departments and that they're continuing to grow. Outside firms are not as responsive in a positive way to understanding why they're growing. And I can say that I was at uh, Legal Week in New York this past spring, and there was a panel of firms and prominent general counsel. And the discussion about the growth of in-house legal departments came up. And one of the firms said, well, that's great because now you've inherited my problems. You've inherited my need to constantly be evaluating technology. You've inherited my need to evaluate alternative legal organizations. You've inherited my challenge of keeping lawyers interested and motivated, educated. He says, that's great. You've basically taken some of my problems off my plate, but you also still need our services, which I thought was kind of an interesting way of presenting it. The way you presented it as you now employ these people to do some of the more standard things that need to be done by your organization in a more efficient way with the understanding of how your business runs, I think was a, a pretty significant difference in that response. As you look at your Chris ball and you look at the future, do you think there's going to be a balance at some point here where there will be more of these boutique firms that have that very specialized talent and less of the larger firms that are really trying to be all things to all people or all clients? I don't think there's going to be dramatic changes among law firms in the next decade. The ones that adapt to their clients running like a business sooner are going to be the ones that are going to enjoy more financial returns, at least in my opinion, than those that do not. What I do know, Nicole, is a traditional law firm business model of open matter, bill on an hourly basis, request your hourly increase year over year, 
is not sustainable. And in, I'd go so far as to say in some circumstances, it's broken. You know, in our industry, there's only a certain profit margin that a company like ours enjoys. And whether that profit margin is 3% or 5% or 10%, you get an increase from outside counsel, where oftentimes law departments have their biggest spend. To increase 8% or 10% or 15 I've seen sometimes 20% year over year, you can't sustain it. It's impossible to sustain it. And firms need to recognize their clients cannot continue to invest in the same way that law firms have requested year over year. And then generally it has been working. But with more and more of the decisions being made like business people in legal operations with regard to how a firm is performing, or in many regards, whether a firm is even going to become a panel firm to begin with. You're taking away a lot of the traditional approach. If you really want to get to know somebody, take them out to golf or dinner or what have you and build a relationship with inside counsel. That will probably continue for a time, but it is less and less valuable to me and many other in-house counsel with whom I speak with about really what drives their decision-making. Thank you. Strong response. Those are activities that occur when a matter has been completed. Those are activities that occur when you're celebrating an anniversary of a relationship. They're not the business development side of the house. And of course, they have value at that point. For our new partners, for those partners just starting their business development journey and the need to attract accounts for their clients, you've given a lot of strong advice. Any specific advice for those new partners that you haven't yet mentioned? that you would, would want to add at this point? First, I recognize your need to drive revenue within your organization. And, and I have no issue with that. And I am more than willing, if not happy, to entertain a discussion with you about the service level that you can offer or your service offering to my organization. But at the risk of being repetitive, ask folks. I'm not soliciting 100 or 200 phone calls at any one time. But don't be bashful, ask. If you want to find somebody like me or somebody at any large, medium size, even small organization who's involved in legal department, you'll find them. And when you do connect them, do so in a way that you make a strong enough first impression that somebody like me wants to continue to have that discussion. Don't just assume, whether it's my organization or any other similarly sized organization, that if we have a panel of firms, that's locked down. It's not. It is something that is very fluid. And yes, we continue to invest in our panel firms, but we are always looking for additional talent, especially if there comes a circumstance where things within a firm who might be a panel firm change. And that could very well be that key members that have serviced our account have gone to another firm and they shouldn't necessarily think that our business will go with them. So there is always that lookout for that top talent. Strong advice. Thank you. Mark, any last points you'd like to share before we say goodbye? From a law firm perspective, recognize the very dynamic changes that are underway. They're not going to go away. You look at organizations like the Chief Legal Operations Consortium, CLOCK uh, for short, or the ACC Legal Operations Groups and Committees. There are now thousands of members of those groups representing thousands of organizations, employing tens of thousands of people. It's not just a here today, gone tomorrow. It's part of the fabric of the decision-making with regard to the purchasing of legal services and the pressures that generals, counsel, head of operations have to continue to do more with less are only going to continue. When we look at the cost pressures that drive significant parts of our budgets, outside counsel expenses, and yes, you provide a valuable service, but understand that sometimes it's questioned. If it's at five or six or seven or 800 or 
perhaps even $1,000 an hour. There will always be needs in some bet the company litigation or significant projects where those types of fees are justified. But by and large, on the day-to-day legal matters, it becomes more and more difficult for us to justify that internally and recognize some of the pressures that we're under as we do negotiate with you your fees and why sometimes there's significant pushback. The sooner you recognize it and the more you embrace the change, the better off that you're going to be overall, not only from a financial perspective, but on your quest to become that true, valued, trusted advisor. Excellent. Valuable last point, Mark. We appreciate your sharing your thoughts with our listeners. Thank you. It's been a pleasure having you as a guest on Leftfoot. Nicole, thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. For information on our podcast, our 12-session business development challenge, and our online business development coursework, visit leftfoot.com. It takes focus and thought to lead with the left foot. Until next time. Thank you.